Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. talking today about resources for bereaved children and families, and our second guest today is going to be Kathy Supiano. Kathy is a licensed clinical social worker and director of the Caring Connections, a hope and comfort in grief program affiliated with the University of Utah College of Nursing, Hospital, and Clinics. Welcome to the show, Kathy, and welcome back, Gloria. Thanks, Heidi. Hi, Hi Kathy. Gloria. Yeah, hi, Gloria. Hi, <laughs> Heidi. Heidi, you're a U- University of Utah graduate. I am. I graduated back in the 80s with my undergrad. Go Utes. <laughs> exactly. So Utah always, I, I'm amazed at what they do there um, to, to the University of Utah. It's such a great outreach, and um, the university is, and I know the social work school, Shannon Mathers, on our board, and, and they do a great outreach, and they kind of connect up with you, don't they? They do. In fact, you know, I think the world of Jana, and um, our program is um, has, historically been in the College of Nursing, and both uh, Dean Mather and um, Dean Keith in the respective colleges um, genuinely embrace interdisciplinary practice, so the, the relationship is pretty exciting and one that's pretty supportive of me as a social worker in the College of Nursing. Yeah, it, it's great to see communities reach out. You reach out all over the state, right? Yeah, we do. Actually, our, our service mandate is through the entire Intermountain West. So we try to provide services through Wyoming, Montana, and down to northern Arizona and west uh, to Nevada and bumping up to Colorado. So, you know, we do have our cities, but our, um, our locale is pretty rural, and so... Uh, we want to make sure we're providing services and linking up with uh, people all over the state. And what kind of services are you providing? Because that's ambitious. That's a huge area. Well, it, it is a huge area. And our core service is our support groups, which are conducted uh, locally in Salt Lake and the suburban areas. We provide a wide variety of support groups for people who've lost children, uh, for people who've lost a spouse. Um, our, our largest groups are our suicide survivor groups. We do groups for loss by homicide, et cetera. But we also have an educational outreach mission. We train health professionals to um, and health profession students as they're moving into careers in, in health disciplines to be responsive and understanding of grief and loss experiences. And we also have a research mission, of course, because we're part of the university. So uh, this is really interesting because, you know, back, they, you know, we've always heard, you know, Kubler-Ross came and nobody was dying at the hospital and all that <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and, and she realized that and people had to face it a little bit more. Are you finding that there's more connection with grief, loss, hope, and healing? Oh, I, I do think so. And I think um, the disciplines of nursing, social work, we... Um, we have a voice in the medical school. We assist genetic counseling students, of course, because they deal with um, death and loss issues as well. So, yeah, I do think that first wave of, um, Gloria, if you don't mind me saying, you, you're in my age cohort. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, who remember well in healthcare when this was just not acknowledged are seeing 
a wider embrace of it. So you know, all it was fascinating to me because uh, one of my specialties and my master's in nursing was in um, cancer. Mm-hmm. And the most fascinating part to me was many of the cancer doctors that I worked with deserted to dying patients. Mm-hmm because they were there to heal them mm-hmm. and take care of them, which was a fascinating thing. But I think, I think there's, I hope there's more connect now. Yeah, I think so. And I think, thankfully, we're seeing a much greater awareness of, of all of this, not only in expected death with um, cancer death with palliative care initiatives, but with traumatic death as well. Talk um, about that, because when Scott was killed, we didn't have any follow-through, did we, Heidi? No. Well, and I think this is actually probably one of the most important service missions that we've attempted to respond to is um, care of people experiencing sudden or unexpected death. And um, we have recently um, published the third edition of this uh, wonderful resource book called Dealing with Sudden and Unexpected Death. And this, this book is really targeted for three audiences. First, for families who went through what you went through when when Scott died, um, who are are just dealing with the overwhelming shock and don't know the next steps to do. Um, For for families who've lost someone in a motor vehicle accident or a drowning, you know, we have a large trauma center here. We have, you know, all the injuries you have in a state that's a really outdoorsy state, um, as we are. So those traumatic deaths, but really also for the families dealing with a death by suicide or death by homicide. So that's the first audience for this book. But I will tell you that by far the most successful use of this book is with the second tier of people, the first responders. Um, And these are the emergency room staff, the EMS personnel, but... Um, Gloria and Heidi, we've had the best um, impact with this book by putting it in the hands of chaplains in the police department, the fire department, and the sheriff's department. Mm, Because they they are the ones who, when someone knocks on the door and the police have to inform the family of a death, in in our state, we're very fortunate. The police departments, sheriff's departments, dispatch a police chaplain. And... You know, of course, the the family is in a complete state of shock, and they're not able at that point, as you probably well recollect, to be able to absorb, you know, what needs to be done, the facts and so forth. And they're able to put this book into the hands of families and give them a roadmap of what to do next. Everything from um, dealing with the medical examiner's office. None of us are ever prepared to know how to do that. In the case of a homicide or a suicide, though, you're also dealing with the media. You're dealing with the criminal justice system. You need to know how to connect with the victim advocates program, etc. And you can just imagine when you're informed of a traumatic death like this, you're, you're just not going to be able to absorb all that information. What a great idea. Now, how would I get in touch with it? So I may be involved in litigation right now, or mm-hmm. there may be some information that I need as a bereaved person. How would I be able to get a hold of it? Well, the book is available through our website, which is um, www.nursing.utah.edu slash practice slash caring connection. And we have this book in three versions. We have a Utah version, which is really the resources in the Intermountain West. 
We have that version in Spanish as well. We have a very large Spanish-speaking population here. Oh, that's great because I'm in California. Yeah, exactly. We, exactly. we need that also. And, and we have a national version. So listeners who are not connected with the West at all would find our national version so what no if I just helpful. went to the Caring Connection? Because that sounds pretty like a lot of URLs to me. No, it, you, <laughs> if I you, went to the Caring or, Connection, or will I find just, you? You could just Google through University of Utah or University of Utah Nursing, and you'll you'll link with us. Okay. But let me give you the phone number. Okay. You, uh, you obviously have a technically savvy audience because they log in. Right. Um, but I'll give you the phone number as well. It's 801-585-9522. That's great, and uh, they can get a hold of the book. So it's not on Amazon or anything. They have no, to. It, it, it's not on Amazon. I'll say yet. How would that be? <laughs> okay, so they need to go to you. Well, that sounds uh, fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about some of the the stuff that you know and and you've done. Now, your suicide's the biggest uh, the biggest group, which is fascinating. Right. Yeah, I was interested by that too. I was wondering if you set out to kind of target that audience, or if it just kind of unfolded on its own. Well, it, it's a huge need everywhere, It's a, and this is a, a, a national issue. We keep up with these statistics as well as you do, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a, an issue of great sorrow and, and pain. Um, we, our support groups are facilitated by clinicians, and our, all of our clinician facilitators volunteer their time with us, and which is, which is just a remarkable gift, um, and we have many of our facilitators are squ- are quite skilled in the issue of suicide survivorship, and they they lead these groups. What so, do you think that um, say I'm here? Uh, what, my child just uh, died by suicide. Mm-hmm. What are my big issues? Well, the the big issue, of course, first is the traumatic loss, and then trying to reconcile yourself. To were there warning signs? Should I have known, etc.? That guilt, guilt. Well, and guilt and shame. Uh, this, you know, and this is the unnecessary second trauma that comes after the trauma of loss. We still hear families say, "I um, can't talk about this with people. I'm a failure as a parent." Um, they may feel absolutely abandoned, and uh, by the people who, if they're Child had died under any other circumstances would be embracing them, even so loving the, people. The stigma sort of pull away from supporting because, and you hear this all the time, I'm sure in your own practices. I just don't know what to say, and so when people are uncomfortable offering support, unfortunately, what they do is they don't offer any support. So, so people are yeah. highly isolated. So if you've had this loss, because we're going to move on to another, I want to say to you. What I hear from Kathy is the feelings you're feeling are normal. Absolutely. And other people have them. Mm-hmm. They have to be worked through. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can find a group like this in your area by contacting your local hospital or getting in touch with chaplains or whatever and try to find a group around that can give you support in dealing with these issues. And, and, and also reaching out to these families. The, the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill that NAMI and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention are also great resources. Right. And Heidi, did you want to say something? I was just going to say that, that reaching out to these families because they need support so much because they're not getting any. 
Mm-hmm. So if you know anyone that's had a family member die by suicide, please reach out and, and give them support. And I'm we also did a great show with the executive hand. director of the National mm-hmm. Association for Suicide Prevention, if you want to listen to it, and it's on our archives. Yeah, we have some great uh, shows about it. And Eric Hippel, we wrote the book Real Men yeah. Do Cry about the suicide of his son and how he's gone on to be the outreach coordinator for the University of Michigan. Um, I wanted to ask you, I'm a, I'm a bereaved spouse. What's my biggest issue? Well, the, the, the biggest issue at the start, of course, is the devastating loneliness. Um, this is your life partner. Um, this is the person who would have borne this sorrow with you, and they are now absent. And this is different. You know, this is an, a different experience with young widows, old widows, with widows and with widowers. But people also grieve the marriage that they had or the marriage that they didn't have. And so there are many, many layers of this. And spouse loss is unique, and people do well gathering with other widows and widowers uh, informally as well as in formal support networks and, um, and, and, and getting mutual support. And there's another issue, too, that comes up. Isn't it financial and how to run the money if it, they haven't done it before? It can be financial. It, for the wife, it is still very often the case that She's dealing with a much lower income and then having to navigate the finances. We still hear many of our widowers who are having to learn to cook, uh, to, to learn child-rearing tasks that um, even in more um, equally uh, role-balanced families, um, if she was the one who fixed the toilet and now he has to, all of those issues are the same because a marriage is a shared journey and then the survivor struggles on alone. Right. And I don't think, even with Scott Dine, I didn't realize the jobs he did or, you know, how mm-hmm. it all worked out. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, one, add one other thing. With the, with the 9-11 widows that I've been working with, one of the biggest issues is parenting alone. Mm-hmm. And having, to, having it all on your shoulders and not having any sounding board to bounce off ideas or to bounce off what we should do with our children, et cetera, and being on your own with kids. Well, and there is still the fifth wheel phenomena as well. When, when you lose a partner, um, all of the, many of the activities you enjoyed, you enjoyed with couples. And if you're now uncoupled, um, it, it's, it's awkward both as a giver and for the couples who are supporting the new, newly bereaved widow or widower. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting, isn't it? All these losses are different. The loss of a child, Heidi, you've done so much to um, cast uh, light and compassion on loss of a sibling, which was mm-hmm. um, under-recognized. So all of these losses are, are so unique. And I think one of the things we as bereavement specialists need to strive for is to encourage people to recognize and honor each other's losses. Um, I love that, Kathy, and not and not try to get into a competition of whose loss is the worst because the worst loss is the one that's happening to you right now. Exactly, and you know, it's, I'm sure you've had this experience, Gloria, with compassionate friends, when people gather together and they're just in such depths of sorrow, and they walk away from a group and they say something like, "Oh, you know, my husband died or my child died suddenly." And but I didn't have to watch this long suffering that this other person did. And the person whose child died over time walks away and says, uh, it, "Mine was very hard, but imagine if I hadn't had the chance to say goodbye to my child." And they they come out with this level of 
respect for each other's losses that actually facilitates their own healing. I mean, we... Absolutely. They're finding those little glimmers of hope or little glimmers to believe or whatever. Your last guest, Susan, was a wonderful example of that. She used her own pain to contribute to the healing of other people. This is the third edition of a book that we distribute for families, for first responders, and, and, and second-tier programs like organ donation organizations called Dealing with Sudden and Unexpected Death, a Handbook for Survivors. And it's for families and, and professionals who are helping people navigate the first horrible hours after a traumatic death. And how can people get it? They can call our telephone number, 801-585-9522, or our website, uh, www.nursing.utah.edu slash practice slash caring connections. And Kathy's going to write for us, too, so she'll have a profile page, and you'll be able to find that from her profile page probably in, how long does it take, Heidi, three or four days, or? Um, as soon as Kathy sends me her bio and her photo, we'll be up and running. Great. Yeah. And easy, so we, I think enough. we also had a little ad from Neil Chethick that said, if you want to write for us, let us know. So if you're people out there who like to write about hope, uh, grief, loss, hope, and healing, let us know. You can just go on uh, our the uh, Open to Hope Foundation site, and there's a up on the right-hand side says Write for Us, and you can connect up with us. Well, Kathy, uh, when we went for, to break, well, first of all, I, I just want to say that I've sent some people who've asked me uh, about resources in Utah to you, mm-hmm. and you have a program up there where people can actually get either the group or the individual therapy. Yes, that's correct. Uh huh. So um, uh, both of those services, and then some educational programs as well, and then these remembrance programs. And tell us about your remembrance programs. Well, we do two of these a year, and. Uh, Gloria and Heidi graced us with presents uh, when we did our spring remembrance event a year and a half ago. That's called Seeds of Remembrance. And in that program, we invite people to come. We have a speaker and a sort of a focused program. But the main thrust of that evening is that um, people have an opportunity to typically share a, take a flower from a large bouquet and remember a beloved family member by name. That's so important, and I appreciate that in the radio program you so often emphasize the value of remembering. Um, We both remember uh, long ago when people were considered to have recovered from grief if they didn't talk about that person, if they kind of put it behind them. And I'm, I'm so pleased that research and now practice has supported the value of remembering and um, this idea of a continuing bond with the person who died. You know, I just went to the Egyptian exhibit at our local museums here in San Francisco, and there was a sign on the wall that said, uh, ancient Egyptian saying to say the person's name is to make them live again. Yeah, I, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful example now we're getting close to the winter holidays, which are also a, a, a very bittersweet time for grieving people. And so we do a Grief in the Holidays Remembrance. Uh, that will be November 10th up at the university. And again, uh, some, some good program content about getting through the difficult holidays, new ways to remember, um, some wonderful music and sharing this year we have Jean Reagan, who's written a wonderful book for children who've lost 
um, a, a sibling. And we've had Jean on the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's wonderful. She's a, the forest ranger, right? Um, and she, yep, she and a Utahn. <laughs> she's a lovely, and, and lovely And Norma Matheson, who is our former first lady, uh, will be speaking about spouse loss. But again, the focus is really how to remember. How and how would you suggest people to remember? Um, it's some interesting things. We encourage people really to do this their own way. There are some people who feel very strongly that they have to do and really want to do all of the traditions, the ornaments on the tree or the, the special dinners and the cookies. And there are other people who feel they really need something different. They need to, a break from that. But also in the middle ground are people who feel, uh, let's remember, but in a new way. So we have had a, a family, for example, that took a child's favorite ornaments from a tree and made a separate little tree. Mm-hmm. And then actually on Christmas Day took the ornaments off the little tree and put them on a bi- the big tree again in sort of a ceremonial a I kind of like sort of that. Way. You can say something uplifting, a happy memory that you remember as you put the ornament on the mm-hmm. big tree too. Mm-hmm. And there's some people, and it's a little more challenging in Utah with our winters, who go to the grave on Christmas Eve and then um, have the uplift kind of day on Christmas Day. And and but I think the most valuable thing is that people think about this ahead of time. They they don't let the holidays sneak up on them. That they work out with a fa- with the family how they want to do this. Because one person may want everything the same, and the other person may say, "Nope, I would rather go to Florida this winter." Mm-hmm. Well, the first year with Scott, we stayed home and did our thing because, mm-hmm. I don't know, somebody said you should do the same thing the first year. And then the next year, it was a relief. We went to Hawaii with yeah. my mother. It was a real relief, I thought. Do you think, Heidi? Oh, absolutely. It was great. And, and, and we all we all agreed on it. I think you're making a good point. There needs to be some compromise because everyone kind of needs to be on the same page. Otherwise, you just have another round of hurt feelings when everybody's still pretty raw. And then Heidi also reminds of something, which is if you do have kids, they deserve to have their life. Exactly. They certainly deserve the presence. Right, and, you know, children, exactly. The children love holidays. And, you know, if the parents say, well, I don't want to go on a holiday, I want to go to Hawaii, and you've got little tiny kids, and they Mm -hmm. want to pretend Santa's coming, et cetera, and celebrate the way they always have, Sometimes you have to kind of give in a little bit and say, you know what, maybe on that day I can set aside some time to grieve on my own, but then I need to kind of come in for my other kids right. and enjoy the holidays for them. Oh, my gosh, Kathy. Well, this is, we could just go on and on with this. It's so amazing. I know people are out there saying, uh, why are you doing this at the end? We need more. So we're going to have to have you on again before Christmas. So I'm going to oh, get in touch you. with you, and, and let's do a, a getting ready for the holidays whole show for people. That'd be great, and I I do think just your giving the attention to the value of remembering is really important. I do appreciate that. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and for all the great work you're doing, Kathy. All right. Take care, both of you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.